Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm Brad, I'm your host, and I'm a beggar. I found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, and want others to know where I found this bread that they may partake and not let go. This episode, Hold On Loosely. Credit 38 Special with the title to this episode. 38 Special out of Florida, founded by Donnie Van Zant, brother of Leonard Skinner founder, Ronnie Van Zant. 38 Special started out with a strong Southern rock sound and then kind of transitioned into a little more of a commercial arena rock sound, and that's where they found most of their success. Oddly enough, it was the album titled Wild-Eyed Southern Boys, which they departed from some of their Southern roots, and that's where they had their first big hit, Hold On Loosely. It climbed to number 27 on the Billboard charts. In 1977, tragically, Ronnie Van Zant of Leonard Skinner was killed in a plane crash, and that prompted Brother Donnie to write the song, a tribute song, called Take Me Back, which was included on 38 Special's album Special Forces. In later years, Donnie joined up with his brother Johnny, and they formed a band simply called Van Zant. They produced several albums, and there was a return to their southern rock roots for sure. And in 2005, they released an album that was a return to their faith called Get Right With The Man. It's quite a musical legacy, really, with the Van Zant family, no doubt. But as you know, it's not about the music, it's about the message Hold On Loosely. As I continue digging through, Paul's letter to the believers in Galatia, the book of Galatians, and I look at it with fresh eyes, I am encouraged, I am in some ways amazed, I am challenged and even humbled as I go through this letter. And for me, it's kind of similar to when I began taking a look at the Tanakh, the Old Testament in about 2014, with a a, a fresh set of eyes, a fresh mindset, realizing that the God I worship is the same God Jews worship, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is one. And so asking myself, what am I missing? Why is it difficult to witness to, to evangelize uh, Jews? And, you, you know, what am I missing in my faith Where's my lack of understanding? And it turned out I was missing a lot as I recognized the relevance and application of the whole of Scripture for followers of the Messiah Yeshua, Christ Jesus. Christians, if you will. Since gaining a better historical and cultural context in the Scriptures and coming to the realization that Paul was in fact a Jew, a Torah, law-abiding, law-observing Jew, and a Pharisee. This shed greater light on his writings, which Peter, who was actually higher on the apostolic chain of command than Paul, Peter even said Paul's teachings are difficult and people twist them. So if that was true with people living in the times with the proper cultural context and everything else, How much more 1,900 years later in a Western civilization that has all but forgotten the Jewish roots of the faith? 
So I want to take a look at a statement Paul makes in Galatians, which he repeats, sort of, in uh, his letter to the Colossian believers. And the actual simplicity of these statements as compared to what they have been twisted into, and not just by evangelicals, but also by messianic believers. And I'm, I'm using the term messianic as a general term in the same way that I use evangelical Christian as a general term, because there's so many different distinctions and people want to make sure they're, you know, they're identified properly, like, well, I'm not really messianic. Um, you, you know, we're Torah pursuant or Torah observant, or we're Hebrew roots or Jewish roots or, and on and on it goes. Divisions within divisions. And I'm just lumping all together here for the simple simplicity of, uh, uh, for simplicity and for time's sake. So I will, uh, I'll let y'all Put yourselves in whatever box you want to distinguish yourselves from each other. To me, that doesn't quite sound like unity in the body, but what do I know? In any event, let's get to some scripture, please. Yeah, how about that? Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 29. For all of you who were immersed in Messiah have clothed yourselves with Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And if you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So now let's take a look in Colossians chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 9. Do not lie to one another. After all, you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self that is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Here, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, savage, slave and free, but Messiah is all and in all. So a quick side note here. I'm uh, I'm leaning towards going through this letter from the start in its entirety because there is a progression that, that goes through the letter from beginning to end. And as I'm grabbing different topics from Paul's writings, I, I don't want people to miss the overall context of this letter. So what I will say at this point is there is great value in inductive study of the scriptures as going through it as a whole first before you start breaking it down. So inductive study and then with exegesis, uh, exegesis, which is comparing scripture with scripture, all, all good ways to study. And so I do, I encourage you, please read through Galatians from beginning to end, read through. And even as you listen to these episodes, it'll help you bring the full context to it. So there you go. Study to show yourself approved of God. Now, back to these passages. Galatians 3 and in Colossians 3, Paul talks and tells believers in Galatia as well as Colossae the same thing. In Messiah, there is no longer Jew nor Greek or Gentile. There's 
No male or female, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave or free. Messiah is all in all. Hallelujah. So the misunderstanding of these passages has been cause for significant damage on the part of evangelicals and, as I said, as well as messianic believers. So please let me explain. Many evangelicals have taken this to mean that Jews should no longer, are no longer required to behave as Jewish. All that Torah stuff, all the traditions, all the cultural influences, that stuff's done away with in Messiah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't exist in him. It's okay if you still do some Jewish stuff, I guess, but you don't have to because now you're in Christ. So none of that stuff is of any significance to God. And as I've said in the past, this is part of replacement theology, that Judaism has been done away with and God is making, God has made this new religion and he is making one androgynous people in Messiah. And of course, if you look, if you look at that, what is, uh, what is being said is Jewish identity doesn't matter at all. And all you Jews are to become like us, Gentile followers of Christ. This is one reason why there is such resistance from Jews to the gospel of Messiah, because what has historically happened typically is when a Jewish person has come to faith in Yeshua as the Messiah, they they or them and their family, they come to faith in Adonai through Messiah within one or two generations, they completely forget their heritage. And many might say, well, yeah, see, that's a good thing. That's how it should be. There's no division that way. We're all one in Messiah. But that is not the point Paul is making here. And that is not what God wants. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 7, and we'll start at verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, let him walk in this way. I give this rule in all of Messiah's communities. Was anyone called when he already had been circumcised? Let him not make himself uncircumcised. Has anyone been called while uncircumcised? Let him not allow himself to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping God's commandments matters. And so what he is saying in here is if you were a Jew, born natural, halakhically, legally a Jew, or proselytized uh, into the Jewish faith, when you came to Messiah, if you were that way, stay that way. If you were not, if you were a Gentile, uncircumcised, one of the God-fearers who, who were trying to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as a Gentile, if you came to faith in Messiah and you were in that state uncircumcised, you don't need to become Jewish. You don't have to go through that stuff. Stay as you are when you came to faith. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping God's commandments matters. 
God doesn't want either of us, Jewish believers or Gentiles, to lose who we are and become some homogenized people group. That takes away from the amazing work Adonai has done through the promised seed of Abraham, Yeshua. It takes away from the amazing tapestry that God has woven together. In the same, in the same way, the New Testament writings continue to make the distinction between male and female, slave and free. They also continue to make the distinction between Jew and Gentile. So what does this oneness mean? Please think about marriage, okay? Because God says uh, that they will be joined together, male and female, and the two shall become one flesh. Does that mean there is no distinction between the husband and the wife? That they are one and so either one can do either thing. Hey, either one of you can carry a, you know, can become pregnant and carry a kid. Either one of you can do this and that. No, there are distinctions, clear distinctions. Those societies trying to blur those lines. Let's set that aside. That'll be a conversation maybe for never or for another day. Lord willing, we'll see. But there are distinctions between male and female. And in the same way. There are distinctions between Jews and Gentiles, between male and female, slave and free. And those distinctions do remain. So what does this oneness mean? If we're not just one big hybrid androgynous family, what are we? I would say that most evangelicals and even messianics would say that though Paul writes there is no longer male or female. This does not mean that there are no longer men and women in the church, right? Nor would they deny traditional biblical marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe some of you are saying, no, that doesn't matter anymore. Hmm. Better read the rest of the scriptures. Keep it all in context. So, no, that's that's clearly not what Paul is saying here. Most would not say that, so why do most, most wouldn't say that. So why, why do most think that's what it means about Jews and Gentiles? If we don't believe it about male and female, why are we attributing that to Jews and Gentiles? That the, there's this androgynous lump of humanity now in the church, in Christ. And mostly um, it, it's because it's what, has been taught for centuries since since this division and this split between Jewish messianic believers and Christians who have just separated away from Judaism altogether. And so it's become an accepted doctrine over the centuries. It's not what Paul is saying, though. As the passage from 1 Corinthians 7 clearly indicates, that's not what he's saying. So in these passages, in Galatians as well as Colossians, Paul uses the same language which seems to be completely ignored in jumping to some false conclusions. In Galatians, he writes that we have clothed ourselves with Messiah. In Colossians, he writes that we have, that we have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self that is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. 
the imagery in each of these is that of taking off and putting on garments, clothing, clothed with Messiah, clothed with Christ. So what does that mean? In Matthew 22, Yeshua told a parable about a wedding. And we looked at this in the open invitation episode, which you can certainly go back to at your, t- at your leisure when you have time, if you choose to do so. In this parable, the father of the bridegroom invited people to his son's wedding. The originals who were invited all came up with excuses why they couldn't attend. So the father sends his servants out to invite anyone they see all along the highways and the byways. Just go out and send out the invitations. When they all arrive the father notices, the father of the bridegroom notices one attending who is not wearing wedding clothes. And he was thrown out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the imagery Paul is using, that of wedding garments. See, these, the wedding garments are provided by the father and worn by all in attendance, so no one looked at, one, at another to compare themselves. Jew versus Gentile, rich versus poor, servant versus master, any, and any of the other things. They still maintain those distinctions, but in attending this wedding, it's all about the son and about the wedding. That's where the focus needs to be, not on anything else. All these other things can be a distraction for people. So, They put on wedding clothes. The father wants the attendees focused on the son, period. His son, the bridegroom. This does not eliminate people's culture or heritage, but it puts you singularly focused on the Messiah, Yeshua. You must have heard me use the analogy in the past. I I imagine many of you have anyway. The analogy of adoption. And for us, for my my family, my bride and I, we have one natural-born child and two adopted children. As I have said, we did not have two sets of rules, one for the natural-born and one for the adopted. All were held accountable to the same things, the same rules. Even as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping God's commandments matters. So I want to qualify a little bit my analogy of adoption because culturally our adopted children still maintain their heritage. A big concern um, when children from a specific culture, when a child from a specific culture is adopted by people with a different cultural background, the concern is that the children will lose their cultural identity. And we see this a lot in Aboriginal and um, Indigenous people groups. In many cases in, uh, in America, the tribe has the authority to grant or deny adoption by people outside of that tribal culture so that they do not become marginalized and the cultural identity lost and, and watered down and diminished over the years. We need to remember, we Gentiles are twice adopted. We're adopted as children of Abraham and as children of God. Jews are natural-born children of Abraham, and they too are adopted through Messiah as children of God, as Paul says. 
back to the culture issue here. This happens with other groups as well. And for example, when a child who is black is adopted by white parents, there can be concern that the cultural distinction will dissolve. They'll lose touch with that culture and their identity. And some say, well, that's a good thing because we're all just human after all. And, and wouldn't that just be better? Can't we all just get along? God has created each of us with certain distinctions And he does not want that whitewashed so that we're all this bland blob of humanity. We diminish the work he has done through Messiah when we eliminate what distinguishes one from another. There is an effort to do this regarding gender, as I said, in our nation. And it is an offense to God because he created each of us. He is the potter. We are the clay We are making efforts to correct the potter when we start telling Jews, stop being Jewish and just do these things. Read Job and you'll see the inherent danger in second guessing the creator. We need to maintain maintain these things. And so that that addresses the replacement theology issue on the evangelical side. In some messianic communities, there is the other side of that replacement theology coin. And it's doing the same thing, but it's less recognized. And it says, hey, now that we Gentiles, now now we Gentiles following the Jewish Messiah, we get to appropriate Jewish culture because we are all one in Messiah. And so, hey, look, I do Jewish stuff now, too, because in Messiah, we are one. And we even, there's a song, and I love this song, and it says, you know, it's Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah, one in Yeshua, one in the olive tree. Love that song. It's one of the few songs I can actually dance to. Anyway, but the song, just like the scriptures, is not saying we are all now Jews. Because by the same token that Jews are now absorbed into Gentiles, as as many evangelicals say, this idea that we all now are Jews or take on Jewish culture, it does the same thing. It takes away the Jewish identity. And, and many will say, well, no, I do this. This celebrates the Jewish roots of the faith and it makes them prominent in our beliefs. I would be careful because... In many ways, it removes the distinction from being Jewish. And again, it does the same thing. It's absorbing Jews into Gentiles. And in, in both cases, it is, it's removing Jewish identity. And some Messianics get really heavy-handed, and I will say even sloppy, in how they treat Jewish culture. And while perhaps it is well-intended, it tramples a distinct, set-apart culture. And it is an offense to many Jews to see this done. And so we need to be careful. There is a great difference between honoring Jewish culture and appropriating it for ourselves, thus diminishing it, and again, being heavy-handed and sloppy with it. And as I look, you know, as I look at this, I hold the mirror to myself to make sure I I don't overstep my bounds. And and there are things that I have done and participated in where I'm like, "Mm, yeah, I should not, not doing that anymore. 
Um, you know, because I do seek to honor the roots of the faith. Absolutely. No roots, no fruit. You know, uh, so, so I'm good with that. But there have been times like um, when I have taught at uh, a Messianic congregation, I have worn a tallit, which is a prayer shawl as it was kind of the custom of the leadership there. And I did it. And here's the thing. I don't know that I ever wore it correct. I kind of draped it over my shoulders and taught and prayed. I don't, I don't know of anything in scripture that says that one should wear a tallit when teaching, when praying. As I understand it, it is a Jewish tradition and part of their culture. So if a halakhic natural Jew attended that service... Um, I, I probably would have offended them. And, you know, the same, the same goes with, um, and to me, this is, this is a little more probably of an offense, altering the Shema. The Shema, which is found in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love Adonai your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today are to be on your heart. You are to teach them diligently to your children and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They are to be as frontlets between your eyes and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So there are a couple of traditional ways this is said or sung in in Hebrew and by Jewish people. And in in Hebrew, there is Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malkuto Leolam Vayed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name and his glorious kingdom. That's what that says there. And others will sing or recite the full passage from Deuteronomy that I just read. Some Messianic communities add the lines, Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu HaAdon, which is Yeshua is the Messiah, He is the Lord. And again, if a true Jew was in attendance, I believe that would offend and that is not to say that we deny Yeshua is the Messiah, of course, but I believe we need to leave things intact to properly honor the culture, the roots, while still honoring the fruit of that tree, which is Yeshua, the Messiah, the Lord. The same goes with kippahs or yarmulkes. I don't wear one. Part of it, you know, fortunately, I've got a, I've got a, a, a bald dome, so nothing sticks on this thing really well. So it's tough for me to wear one anyway, but wearing one is, there's nothing in, in scripture that I am aware of that says we are to wear one. That is a very Jewish thing. And I'm not trying to be a Jewish wannabe. I'm trying to be a follower of Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God, through the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua. Paul makes references to his gospel. He does so because he taught that Gentiles did not need to become Jewish to become heirs of the promise made to Abraham through his seed, the Messiah, Yeshua. Paul even submitted his gospel to the other apostles, the influential apostles, he submitted it to them for their approval. 
And he did so in fear that he may have run in vain. Meaning, if the apostles disagreed with his teaching, Paul would have misled many Gentiles. So, the most influential apostles, which is most likely Peter, James, and John, they added nothing to Paul's gospel. They agreed this goes with the whole of Scripture, that Gentiles Gentiles may be grafted in without becoming Jewish, without taking on that identity. So, a big part, really, of what I wanted to address in this episode, and this is amazing because I actually... I woke up at about two o'clock this morning and just so many thoughts and things running through th- through my head about as I've been preparing and considering this episode. And so a big part of what I'm saying is I uh, of what I wanted to address is I need to hold myself accountable to my understanding of the scriptures. I also must allow that there are other interpretations and understandings and that We're not always going to come to the same conclusions on things. I cannot force anyone to believe as I do. I can and try to present the scriptures as I understand them, always encouraging people to study to show themselves approved of God. And I pray that those receive it, that the seeds that are planted, the seeds of God's word that are, are planted will bring forth fruit. Some come to different conclusions than I do. In some cases, people come to a similar understanding standing as me, um, and sometimes sooner, other times later. Sometimes it takes a long time of consideration. And other times, people kind of grasp, grasp it, and they're like, oh my goodness, I've never seen this, and, and come to the same thing. But here's the thing. I am not the Ruach HaKodesh. I am not the Holy Spirit. I allow him to do his work. And there are people who will never come to the same conclusions as me. So what of it? There are what I would call non-negotiables in our faith. And I, I believe most of you will agree. The Lord our God is one. He is the creator. Man is fallen and sinful in need of redemption and a savior. God provided the atoning sacrifice to reconcile us to himself through his son, the promised Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth. And only through faith in him can one be reconciled to a right relationship with the Father. Um, The inerrancy of Scripture. And there's, there's, you know, there's other things that that are like non-negotiables. But I am not the be-all, end-all when it comes to interpreting Scripture. I see and behave according to my understanding and belief of what Scripture is saying. I see the Scriptures multiple times in the Torah that speak of one law for the natural-born Jew and the sojourner. The Gentiles, and these are Gentiles who attach themselves to the Jewish community, Israel. And so not everyone believes in one law doctrine. And, and uh, you know, they don't believe that this uh, applies to Gentile followers of Yeshua, Christians. And there is context to these one-law passages that we have to dig in. We have to understand the full context of them. And so I recognize that the sojourners back then, in order to be an actual part of the community at large, Israel, they had to become Jewish. 
They were proselytized. They took on this new identity, including circumcision and a mikvah, an immersion or baptism into Judaism, as well as the other requirements. As they waited, they awaited the promised Messiah. They were waiting for Messiah. Now that Messiah has come, there is not requirement to become Jewish, to be grafted into Israel. And this is what Paul states and restates time and again in his writings. This is mostly, most, much of what he challenges people with. Aside from circumcision and a mikvah, I don't know all the required processes to become Jewish, to take on that identity. And they do differ from rabbi to rabbi and synagogue to synagogue. There are different people who say and believe different things, what it means to become Jewish. So I'm, I'm like really careful and cautious for myself. And for me, I will tell you that I will lean to the side of obedience to what I see and as I understand it, I am going to I'm going to lean to that to hold myself accountable to that. But I will lean to the side of grace with others who do not understand as I do. And there are many evangelical Christians who are much better at the weightier matters of Torah, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, as Yeshua said, digging wells to provide fresh water in desert lands, feeding the hungry, caring for the poor, needy widows and orphans, going to great lengths to preach the gospel to all walks of life on all corners of the earth, where there are many messianics, and I'm not painting us all with the same brush, who, who if I can put it this way, major more in the minors the less weightier matters of Torah, arguing about how many knots should be in a zitzit or in your zitz, or you know how long should your beard be? Why don't you observe the Sabbath the same way I do? You know, are you uh, are, are you circumcised? <laughs> I, I understand. Yeshua said that we should not ignore any matter of Torah. He did, and he did refer to certain aspects as weightier matters for a reason. In all our observance of Torah, we must be motivated by love for the Father and love for our neighbors, walking in trusting faith to obey him. So if someone has professed their faith in God through the Messiah Yeshua, declaring him as the Lord and master of their lives, and they live a life of self-sacrifice for others to honor God, but they don't observe the Sabbath on the seventh day. Do I think that that one's going to suffer eternal punishment? Or because they eat the Baconator at Wendy's? I'm never going to be so bold as to condemn anyone based on, on such matters. I know what I see and believe, and I apply that to my life. If someone's eyes are not open to the same understanding, I can present them with what I see from Scripture. And as the song says, for myself, I hold on loosely, but don't let go regarding my understanding of the scriptures. And I say I hold on loosely because even as things have changed for me, my understanding has changed after 20 plus years of walking with God through Messiah, through Christ. And then, and then you know, about five, six years ago, this change started happening and my understanding started, started to come around to the whole of Scripture. So I hold on loosely 
because I was pretty well entrenched in the things that I believed back then. And I, I had to open my hands up and let some things go because I was misunderstanding. And so I continue. I will hold on loosely to what I've got here, adhering to my understanding of the scriptures and not letting go of that. But I believe God's grace is bigger than the bacon here. And I recognize even as the Day of Atonement represents and Yeshua's sacrifice upholds There is forgiveness for unintentional, unwitting, unwilling, and unknown sin. There is. And if one believes something is sin, which is contrary to God's law, and still does it, that's intentional sin. But because of centuries of doctrine that has separated the Torah from Christianity, it takes time and grace. If a follower of Messiah dies while figuring these things out, are they condemned for eternity? If, if I had passed away, just as I started this, you know, my, my eyes being opened, if I had passed away in 2014 when, when this first started coming to me, the understanding of the application of Torah and the relevance for followers of Messiah, if I had passed away then, would I have been condemned for eternity? I, I don't believe so. Because my faith has always been in God's saving grace through Messiah Yeshua. And I grow and I learn. Now, you may, be, you may be confident in saying one would be condemned. That may, You may have that confidence to say that. I don't, and I'm not going to say it. Now, could this mean that an individual spends time after they after their, they physically expire, after their, their body physically dies, could this mean that an individual spends time in Hades, the place of the dead, prior to the resurrection and prior to eternal judgment and the kingdom, and they spend time there to cleanse and burn off the filth of sin, even that unknown, unwitting, unwilling sin, to be presented before the judge who is also, by the way, their advocate, Yeshua the righteous? Perhaps so. I have often heard that we will be surprised by who we see in the kingdom and who we do not see. I want, I want to surprise people by my presence in the kingdom. I don't want people shocked that I'm not there. I work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. As I call God my Father, I live in fear in my time on earth here, as Peter instructs us to do. I want to thank you for your time here. I appreciate you all. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Um, and for those who subscribe, who share, who rate, review, like, and listen, all, the, all those things, I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you for all of that. I'm just a beggar. I found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, and I want others to know where I found this bread. So let us go out and give them heaven. Chain Shalom, grace and peace to you.